Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi there. This is Jillian on Love, and our mission is to teach people how to revolutionize their romantic relationships first by transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, single, or heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves through their bodies, breath, and minds. I have coached and taught thousands to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up in their relationships, their love lives, and just their lives in general. Today's episode is why you may consistently date and fall in love with the wrong people, aka emotionally unavailable people. I will discuss what to do about it. First, really, why that even happens, what to do about it, and why you might find healthy love or a healthy partner boring after having a string of unhealthy, i.e. chaotic, drama-filled, and perhaps even toxic relationships. So let's get right into it because this is a really big topic and it's an important one and it's one where I have received, oh wow, maybe thousands by now of questions and messages from people asking me, you know, why why do I keep quote unquote attracting emotionally unavailable people or, you know, why I really want a healthy relationship, but I just find it boring. What do I have to do about this? Like, what, what am I supposed to do about this? I've had a lot of unhealthy relationships and I really want a healthy relationship. How do I have a healthy relationship? And basically, it's people writing to me in pain, suffering, because it's really hard to fall for someone who isn't available to you emotionally. And if it's a pattern, if it keeps happening, at some point we have to say, well, every relationship I've had has had one thing in common and that's been me. So at some point we have to kind of look in the mirror and ask ourselves, why does this keep happening? And I know that so many of you written to me, you know that something isn't right or there's just something you're not getting. And so I'm hoping that this episode sheds a tremendous amount of light onto why this pattern is arising for you and just to give you a whole lot of insight into the sort of psychology behind it as well as what you can do about it. So here I go. Why you're attracted to unavailable. <laughs> Let's first get down to why there's even an attraction to it. Because a lot of people ask, why do I keep attracting these partners to me? Well, 
if you keep choosing them, if you keep dating them, if you keep falling for them, if you keep falling in love with them, you're actually attracted to them. It's not just that you're attracting them into your orbit, so to speak. You're attracted to them. So let's get down to the bottom of why. So first, you have to know that most, if not all of this, is unconscious. However, after this episode, I'm hoping that it's, well, I'm not hoping, it will no longer be unconscious. It'll be in the forefront of your consciousness, and that's when we can actually start to make change and heal. So here I go. Number one, deep down, and you might, by the way, resonate with some of these a lot, some not so much, but let's see. Number one, deep down, you believe you have to earn someone's love. This is something that I personally struggled with when I was younger. Um, Not with every relationship, but it started to creep up a little bit like, you know, my late 20s, it started to creep up this sort of pattern. And, And actually, you know, I saw it a little bit in my teenage years, then it went away a little bit, then it came back. It's just kind of how it goes. And this was definitely not conscious for me. But when I started to do my research on this and started working with people one-on-one and helping people, I realized that there's just a really clear pattern to this, and that is an unconscious belief, an unconscious, deeply conditioned belief that we have to earn love. And sure, we have to earn trust, and we have to earn respect, and I know we deserve respect, actually, but we have to earn trust. But when we are in a relationship, any kind of relationship, we deserve to be loved. No, we can't behave badly and just think, oh, you have to love me anyway. But this idea that I am just not good enough as I am, or take it a step further, I'm so messed up, I'm so flawed that I've got to work really hard to get someone to love me. And let me tell you something, if you're in a relationship with someone who is just shut down or emotionally unavailable or distant or just not quite available to you, damn straight, you're going to have to work really hard. In fact, it's going to be very exhausting just to get that person to love you or to show you, or to meet your needs at the level that you need your needs to be met. So there's this belief that you have to work really hard to prove your worthiness. And usually what happens is that you'll figure out a way to be needed. And oftentimes this will go back to childhood, meaning like as a child, you probably figured out a way to be needed too. Some children figure out that the way that they're needed is by being a caretaker in their family. Some people figure out that the way that they're needed is just always being perfect. Some figure out that the way that they're needed is always to be the referee, like they're always fixing problems, right? And this stays in our subconscious for our lives. And in some ways, it actually serves us. And in other ways, like in romantic relationship, it turns out to be not so helpful. So you'll figure out a way to be needed. And this could come in the form of many different uh, manifestations. 
a lot of women, for example, and this is not just childhood conditioning, by the way, this is societal conditioning. A lot of women will try to be perfect or look perfect, or they will uh, look perfect all the time, be perfect all the time, be the perfect nurturer, be the perfect nymph, <laughs> be the perfect um, the perfect wild woman in bed. Some, some women will even lead with their sexuality to try to earn someone's attention and love instead of being exactly who you are and being loved for who you are on the inside. But you can't do that if you don't believe, if you haven't been conditioned to believe that that is enough. It also comes in the form of being a fixer or a pleaser or a rescuer. And this looks like dating those who, for example, have a big problem, or let's just say they have a lot of issues. You know, some big problems would be like they're going through a divorce or they have a drug and alcohol problem or they have a career issue you know, or they have money issues. They just have problems and issues. And you may have a habit of turning these partners into projects. Maybe, just maybe, you're actually really grounded so you become the grounding force in someone's life. Maybe even in your work, you're a teacher or a healer. So you're drawn to these people. So you're drawn to these people who have issues and you think this is all unconscious. They're going to really need me if I can be the person that they can always come to and I'll always listen to them and I'll nurture them or I'll teach them or coach them how to be better. And then if I'm like that, because by the way, I'm, you might be thinking I'm unconsciously, I'm like that in other areas of my life and it actually works really well. Why wouldn't it just work well in a relationship? And so if I do that for them, they won't leave me. <laughs> they won't abandon me because they need me. This is all unconscious stuff. You know, maybe you choose someone who's an alcoholic or who's going through a particularly dark time and you think, if I can prove myself to be worthy, they will change, they will love me, they will choose me. So the more they seem, this is, this is what's nuts about it, the more they seem less interested in you or more aloof or more unavailable, the harder you will then try to get them to love you. Just let that sink in for a moment. Because the belief is love is something I have to earn because I am not enough as I am. Then the paradox is this, the more you chase their love by making them into, for example, a project or trying to please them in some way, the more you'll actually likely bring out the worst of them because people don't respond well to being turned into projects. People actually don't respond well to always being pleased. That doesn't actually... It doesn't create spark for someone, right? It's if they're always being pleased, that's not actually what inspires someone to be attracted or fall in love. People actually fall in love with authenticity. 
And so you'll actually bring out the worst in them. And then the worse they become, the worst actually comes out in you. And then it becomes this cycle where it's like, where then you look back and you're like, oh, I was in a toxic relationship. Well, that's part of what it means. Two people bring out the worst in each other because they're playing out some sort of dynamic that's rooted in a feeling of not feeling enough. Okay, number two. If it's a toxic relationship or a really unhealthy relationship evidenced by a lot of highs and lows and push-pulls and drama and maybe fighting and whatnot, often, often those relationships are held together by the glue of sexual chemistry. So what do I mean by this? Sometimes you'll meet someone and you'll know that they are totally wrong for you. Maybe they are even an affair or a fair aside. Maybe they are just like, I mean, the two of you just bring out the nasty in each other. And I don't mean nasty in a sexual way, although I'm about to get to that. I mean nasty in the bad behavior way. But ironically enough, you guys also bring out the nasty sexual in each other, meaning that relationship, for whatever reason, that connection with that person unleashes your erotic self. And it might be a part of you that has been suppressed and or unexplored maybe for all of your life until you met this person. So that's something to really consider. Because sometimes the best sex of your life is with the worst person for your life. And it can become very, very, very dangerous emotionally. But I'm trying to help you make sense of it all. Like that part of ourselves, that sensual erotic part of ourselves, when, it, when we're not in touch with it, when we've suppressed it, and yet it's still very important to us. And then we meet someone and somehow you just, it's like all your sexual needs are being met in the bedroom with this person and you don't even have to ask for them to be met. Now, what makes it unhealthy is that none of your other needs are being met, but somehow sexually all your needs are being met and you don't even have to ask for your needs to be met. And the problem is bringing this back into low self-worth for those of us who have ever felt in the past or currently that we have to earn someone, we have to work hard to get someone to love us, we also will have a very difficult time being courageous in asking for what it is that we need. So then we meet someone and all our needs are being met sexually. And so there's almost a relief there. I don't have to ask for what I need. And I'm getting in touch with this very, very intense side of myself. The problem is, is that those kind of connections never last because that kind of sexual intensity actually can only exist in a vacuum. You can't actually form a deep relationship, long-term relationship, if that is what you want, with someone with whom you only have sexual chemistry with. It just doesn't work if all your other needs are not being met. In fact, if you've been there, you know that it's a whole lot of drama. So 
that's when you have to ask yourself, what else do I need? Do I actually want more from a relationship than just this? And that's a really important question to ask yourself. Number three, and this is really common, you put too much stock in connection. And this is something, it's sort of a trend, for lack of a better word, that I'm seeing a lot of lately, of people just saying, yeah, but we're so connected, such a strong connection, such a strong connection, it's a soulmate, it's a twin flame. And I'm not poo-pooing connection, we have to feel connected. But sometimes we will feel very connected to someone who registers to our subconscious something that's familiar from our childhood that wasn't actually good, that was actually traumatic, but it's familiar. So sometimes we'll feel very connected to someone who's not actually good for us. This is sort of the psychology behind a trauma bond. Sometimes we will have a really strong connection with someone. And it's not a trauma bond, but it's just a connection that's meant to be a romance. It's not meant to be an actual relationship. In other words, we can have lots of different connections with different people all the time, and some of them are really strong. But when we put too much stock in connection, we, we then justify throwing our boundaries out the window, we justify um, throwing our needs out the window. We make all these justifications because we say to ourselves, yeah, but we feel, I feel so connected, right? So if you're looking for a long-term partnership, you might then justify, well, I don't care that they, you know, that we have totally different beliefs about money or I don't really care that, you know, they like to spend their days outdoors and I like to read my book indoors all the time. You know, I don't really care that they want kids and I absolutely do not, or I want kids and they don't, you know, I'll figure that out because the connection is so strong. This is the stuff we do. And so connection is important, but so are a lot of other things. And when we put too much stock in connection, we run the risk of making a lot of justifications for things that are really, really important that are necessary for us to be compatible with someone to make a relationship work. Or even, you know, sometimes the connection is so strong, but like you're not actually getting any of your needs met. <laughs> I mean, that happens a lot. People are not meeting each other's needs. They don't even know how to meet each other's needs. They don't even want to meet each other's needs, but they keep, it's like the connection is really just this attachment. And it's kind of like teenage love. That's what teenage love is all about. It's like deep, deep connection, exploration and attachment without any real acknowledging of whether or not this is a good partnership because you don't have to when you're a teenager <laughs> because chances are that relationship's not going to last anyway and it's not really supposed to and that's okay. Number four. Perhaps you don't, and I just keep saying you because, you know, this was me at some point too. Perhaps you don't know what you truly, really need. And so what do I mean about this? And I'm going to kind of bring in a little bit of archetypes here. So let's just say 
you have historically been very attracted to the energy of the Peter Pan guy. <laughs> this is an example. And you can even, that archetype can actually even be applied to a woman. But let's just say you're attracted to the Peter Pan energy because you really like the fact that he's free-spirited. You really like the fact that they are, um, yeah, like free-spirited, almost like boyish or childlike. You know, there's a lot of wonder there. Like, So we all know the Peter Pan archetype is, I, I don't want to ever grow up. <laughs> I want to stay a kid forever. And there's something really charming about that in some way. But if you're an adult and then you're in a relationship with that person, it turns into a nightmare really quickly. But you might be attracted to that. This person might even look the way that you like your partners to look. They may have like a boyish or like, yeah, even if they're a girl, like a boyish look to them that you find really charming and sexy and attractive. And yeah, there's times when like you forget that you're an adult when you're with them. And so it's very seductive in that way. And then you get into a relationship with them and all of a sudden you're trying to change them. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you showing up? I need you to be more responsible. Why aren't you listening to me? And this becomes a real problem because you're trying to change someone when they actually were very much who they were all along. But because you didn't take the time, and trust me, I've been there and this is really common, to figure out not just what you're attracted to or not just what you find fun and seductive, but what you really need in a partner. You know, so instead of going for someone who can really meet all your needs and maybe can once in a while a little Peter Pan comes out in them, but they're really not that archetype then you're going to keep choosing the same person over and over again. And then you're going to keep being in the relationship. Once you're in a relationship with them, trying to change them. And then you're really disappointed and hurt and thinking, and then they get, a, you know, then they're disappointed and hurt too. Cause they're like, you know, this person keeps trying to change me. And then lo and behold, you're bringing out the worst in each other again. So that's one archetype. You could be someone who's really, really attracted to the wild woman archetype or the innocent nymph. And you think, okay, so let's just say the wild woman archetype and this woman unleashes something inside of you, maybe sexually, erotically, maybe you have a lot of fun together, but then you're in a relationship and you're thinking, yeah, but I want a mom to my children. <laughs> I want someone who actually is nurturing sometimes too, right? We want a more well-rounded individual. And then you keep choosing this person and then you try to change her. doesn't work. Or for those of you who have a proclivity towards wanting to rescue quote-unquote broken birds and then you find someone, male or female, who has that sort of innocent nymph. <laughs> sort of archetype, and keep trying to save them. You can't save anyone. They have to save themselves. 
And then you're in a relationship with them and then you find yourself becoming very codependent, always trying to rescue, always trying to rescue, and then you don't really have an equal partnership. So these are just things to consider. You know, you have to think about what it is that you really need and what it is that you really want. And to once again, not put so much stock in connection and chemistry. Connection and chemistry are important. And in many ways, attraction is a big giant mystery that has more to do with hormones and smell and pheromones and all of that. But there's more to it. And if you've repeatedly had these kind of relationships, at some point when you start to do the necessary self-examination, what happens is that you understand yourself more, you start to retrain and rewire yourself a little more. I'll get into that in a moment. And all of a sudden, these people actually aren't as attractive to you anymore. Because what you start to realize is like, oh, wow, that always leads to something that makes me unhappy. That is actually what starts to become boring to me. So another common pattern, this will be the last sort of pattern that I'll point to, is, and this is sort of similar to the archetypes. So. Let's just say you're attracted to someone who's on the surface, has everything that you want on paper. Maybe you happen to be really attracted to and you really want someone who's powerful, someone who has an important job, someone who can be a provider, someone who um, who can wine you and dine you. They seem nice, they have a good job, they come from a good family, they're exactly how you like them to look, all good on paper. But then you realize they're just a taker. They're not a giver. They just take from you. But you've been so fixated on good on paper (laughs) instead of what are the qualities that I need in another person in order for me to feel loved, safe, have fun, compatibility, and what are the feelings that I need to feel when I am around this person. So throw away good on paper. Because all these relationships, these relationships with the unavailable person, the relationship with the person who's totally wrong with you, the relationship where the two of you are bringing out the worst in each other, all these types of relationships are highly problematic because not only do you keep reinforcing the neural pathways of needing to earn love, they also make emotional intimacy impossible. And this is what's really, really important. Because if you think you need to earn love, that you will not be loved for who you are, that means you won't actually express yourself authentically. You won't make yourself truly known And when you're with the quote-unquote wrong person, guess what? It isn't safe to express yourself. It isn't safe to ask for what you need because when you do, they don't want to meet your needs. They're ignored. 
So you'll bring out the worst in each other. And even if the sex is really good, is that really all you want? Is that all that matters to you? Because you're going to have to figure it out. The thing that makes these type of relationships paradoxically so safe to someone who keeps going for the emotionally unavailable is that if we have to work hard to earn love, then we're not really ever being ourselves. And like I said, if we're never really being ourselves and we're never truly connecting with this person on a deep emotional level, guess what? There's no emotional intimacy. And so intimacy, true emotional intimacy, turns out to be the thing, the very thing that we run from. Because we can't hide when we're in a relationship with someone who's available to us. We got to meet them where they are and be available too. So that leads me to my next point. Why would I find healthy boring? For all the people who've written in to me and said, I'm with someone, but I'm finding it boring, and so I don't know what to do. Well, first of all, some people are kind of boring. So I know it's kind of hard to tell. Like sometimes it is kind of boring. Maybe if it's boring, it, sometimes it's just not a match. You're not compatible. If you're someone who likes to explore the world and have new experiences, and then you're in a relationship with someone who's so addicted to their routine and certainty, and they like keeping their world really small, you'll be really bored with that person. And that's valid because that's not really a match. Because if you like to explore the world and they don't, it's going to be kind of difficult to have a relationship. But let's just say that you're falling into the category of what I've discussed today, of, you know, always being in sort of these tumultuous relationships, these relationships that have never been truly fulfilling, or maybe they've even been sort of toxic or unhealthy or bringing out the worst in each other. This, these are some of the reasons why you might find healthy boring. Number one, you're used to having to work hard to get love. You're used to the uncertainty of never knowing if someone will choose you or love you. And so if you're used to having to work hard, and if you're used to having to be on your tippy toes, and if you're used to the hypervigilance of always trying to work hard to get someone to love you or to wonder if they're going to love you back or if they're going to choose you, then your nervous system and your psychology and your whole emotional body is used to this sort of agitation, hypervigilance, and working hard. And if you don't have to do that and you can just relax, your body might register and your mind might register as, whoa, something is wrong here. Something is wrong here. Like, this doesn't seem, um, you know, either things are too peaceful and I'm used to things being a little nutty, or you might think, what's wrong with you that you don't think there's something wrong with me? Like, wait a minute, I don't have to earn, I don't have to earn your love? What the heck is wrong with you? Something must be wrong with you because you can't truly see me and see that I am enough. 
And that is something where there's really deep, low self-esteem and self-worth issues, all that can be worked on, by the way. But the beauty is if you stay in a relationship with someone, if you really make yourself stay in a relationship with someone who sees you and really loves you for who you are and accepts you, even though you're like, whoa, how could this be true? What starts to happen is that you learn to love yourself in that relationship because you learn to see yourself through the eyes of this other person. But if you hate yourself so much that you reject this person, you're going to have to learn how to love yourself just a little bit more, just enough to actually stay in a relationship or get smart enough, wise enough to stay in a relationship with someone who loves you so that you can learn to see yourself through their eyes too. And that is a big part of what can raise a person's self-esteem. That's the power of a healthy relationship. That's the power of being with someone who's healthy and good for you. So number two, and I pointed this out before, intimacy scares you. So you never had to open up yourself to someone before. Just never had to do it. And now you're with someone who's available. And now all of a sudden, instead of having to work hard and be on the lookout and hypervigilant all the time, you actually have to communicate and open yourself to this person. And that might, on a very deep unconscious level, scare you so much that you're like, ah, they're boring. When really, that relationship would become a lot less boring to you if you started to open up your heart to that someone and be vulnerable and actually learn how to communicate. Then it's like a whole door opens to a whole other world that is very exciting. And then I touched on this on the first point, number three, you're habituated to the drama. You know, your nervous system, your psychology, you're habituated to the drama, the nervous system, the highs and the lows, uh, you know, neurotransmitters, hits of dopamine every time you're given a crumb or every time it seems like you're going to win their love. Especially in these sort of unhealthy relationships, there's a lot of intensity. There's short periods of satiation but then followed by a lot of scarcity. And so that is what creates the chaos and you've kind of become habituated to it. And it could be that this is something that you watched your parents do. This could be something that you learned um, as a child with a parent. This absolutely is something that can be explored with a therapist, with the right coach, through books, just journaling, right? Because once you start to see where this comes from and the patterning, it's like, that's the first step. And then we all know the first step is the most important step. It's really wild. It's actually very cool. You're like, oh my God, this is just something that I've become almost like, I don't like to use the word addicted because I think that even though it could be an appropriate word, I am not crazy about that word because then all of a sudden people think I'm powerless And that's really not true. You can rewire yourself to 
learn to love yourself more, learn to say, okay, I deserve some love, learn to get to a point where you actually want to feel like you can safely express yourself with someone, learn to let someone in, even if you have to have a therapist or a coach sort of holding your hand or a best friend holding your hand, so to speak, through it, you definitely can. And once you see that you do have control over this and that this is all conditioning and patterning and really boils down to how you relate to yourself, then it might take, you know, some work, but it is entirely possible. It's going to take work. It's going to take self-examination and it's going to take some willpower But all of it, I know for a fact, I've seen it done, I've done it, all of it is 100% possible. Another reason why a lot of people don't consider why you might find a healthy relationship boring or a healthy partner boring is, well, life might just be boring to you. So you seek out relationships to fulfill your need for novelty and adventure and drama and risk because you haven't yet learned how to meet those needs in life in a healthy way. So I'm just going to leave that there because that's not something that a lot of people considered because I really believe that context matters. Is life for you boring? Have you struggled to find meaning in life, purpose in life? So that If you haven't, then you seek out, like I said, these relationships that kind of keep your nervous system in a certain hyperactive state because the rest of your life just kind of feels boring. And again, you would need to address that. You want to find more meaning in your life. Maybe you do need to bring more uh, healthy risk and adventure into your life. And so when you can look at your life holistically and see what else could be happening in my life that could be contributing to me choosing relationships that bring drama to, my, to me versus love, health, pleasure, peace, and all the things that we all say that we want but don't necessarily follow through with. So here's what you need to do about it. So let's just say you're dating. You have to retrain your picker because if you keep picking the wrong people or you're, you know, you're going for just chemistry or just going for the Peter Pan or you go for the person with the big problem, all these things that I've outlined throughout this entire episode, you got to retrain your picker because it's a little busted. You know, and we've... <laughs> I think we all go through, maybe not all of us, but a fair amount of us, myself included, can go through a period of time where like, oh, wow, my picker's a little bit busted. And and you could have had a great picker for many relationships, and then you just notice a pattern at a certain area, at a certain stage of your life where your picker just seems more busted. So something to look at. You have to look for other qualities and feelings, feeling safe to express your opinion, feeling safe to ask for what you need and knowing that it will be met. And then 
knowing that you are able to share the deepest parts of yourself and your inner world. So I tell a lot of people I work with, until you, this is all in the retraining of of the picker process and wanting to have a healthier relationship. I literally tell my students, my clients, until you know that you can safely express your opinion, that you can ask for what you need and that is met with reciprocity, and until you can, you can really express the deeper parts of yourself and really express your heart and it will be well received, don't sleep with them. <laughs> don't start a relationship with them. Don't commit to them. Don't be exclusive with them until you know you can do those three things. And this is particularly potent for those of you, for those of us and people who have put chemistry before everything else and end up getting really, really hurt. These kind of boundaries that we can place on ourselves, place for ourselves really, are very, very, very important and they yield incredible results. And you have to have some other boundaries, such as no more, no more projects, no more people with these huge unresolved issues. We all have problems, but these big unresolved issues where I'm going to come in and save the day, maybe that's what I do at work, but I am no longer going to do that in relationships. You just have to make the decision. And then you have to write down all the red flags, all the things that these people had in common, and you look out for them. No more projects. And basically, we have to dampen the neural pathways that are wired to make us believe that, or wired to make you believe that you have to earn love. So... How do you dampen the neural pathways that tell you that you have to earn love? Two things. One is you need to see the value in being with a giver rather than a taker so that you can practice really being yourself in a relationship being totally authentic. Because when you're in pleasing mode, like I got to get them to love me, pleasing mode can look like the fixer. It could look like the person who's leading with their sexuality. It could look like uh, the person who, who's overgiving. When you're in that mode of I've got to earn love, guess what? You're not really being yourself. It's super inauthentic because it, it just hasn't been safe for you to be yourself. You've been too scared to be yourself. So you have to see the value in being with a giver rather than a taker so that it's safe to be yourself. And then you learn the relationship skills such as open communication, vulnerability. You learn how to be yourself in the relationship. And let me tell you something. When you are able to be authentic and be yourself, because that's somewhat dependent on the person being accepting of you, but you have to make that your standard, meaning I'm not going to be with anyone with whom I have to change myself or for whom I have to change myself. You make that your standard. Then you say, okay, I meet someone, I can be myself. 
And then when you really explore that, because it's going to be scary, because even though you set that standard for yourself, you're not used to it. And you've never really thought that yourself was good enough, hence why you even are attracted to the unavailable people, like I've discussed earlier in this episode. But once you can really practice that and be that and be yourself and be with someone who receives that, that's the real aphrodisiac. You want to be in a relationship where you can co-create intimacy with someone. So you have to be brave because you're going to want to tell yourself it's boring when really it's you still having a wall around you. And lastly, you got to learn to love yourself, you know, and I'm going to do a separate episode on self-love, but I'll share just a little bit sort of intro to that here now. And that is... Self-love isn't about liking every parts of ourselves. You know, we've known every single nasty thought we've ever had. We've known every mean thing we've ever done or thought. We know every mistake we've ever made. Shame is something that we are all walking around with on some level. But if you can learn to truly hold yourself in high regard, to really respect yourself and see yourself as valuable in spite of all those flaws, in spite of whatever ambivalence you feel about the parts of yourself that is not what you love. That's what it's all about. And you don't have to fully love yourself before you're in a relationship that's healthy. But you do have to be smart enough And want to love yourself enough to be with someone who can see you for who you truly are. So I hope this was helpful. I know this is a really big topic. And I definitely want to say that this episode alone could maybe help you a lot. Um, Working with a therapist, if you really think that there's some deep self-worth stuff or some family childhood stuff that you want to unpack. Working with a therapist can be so helpful. Working with a coach to just keep you accountable and also help you realign your picker, like if you're ready to take action. Working with a coach can be really profound. Reading books on this, all of this, um, is, is so helpful. You can read about your attachment styles. You can read about emotional availability. You can read about how to be in a great partnership and communication and vulnerability. I mean, there's just so much out there. And I would just say, get started today. Go to my Instagram at Jillian Tarecki. Learn. I've got tons of free stuff there. You know, join my membership if you're a woman, the conscious woman. I mean, there's so many things that you can do to be proactive, to practice changing this pattern of always being with emotionally unavailable people and and learning how to be emotionally available yourself. So this episode was really about why some people are attracted to emotionally unavailable people, why perhaps we get into these unhealthy dynamics, and why we would find healthy boring. And uh, I think it's a really important one. You know, because you deserve to be in the kind of relationship that you want to be in, but you've got to show up. You have got to do what we all do. It's not going to fall in our laps. 
We have to make changes inside to even recognize the right person when they walked into the room. And then we have to do our part to keep that person in our lives and to not sabotage it. We are all confronted with this challenge in some way or another. So if you have any questions, please reach out. Email address is hello at jillianonlove.com if you have any questions. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And most importantly, if you have a friend or a few friends who could benefit from this advice, please share this because you never know whose life you could be changing. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson, produced by Ryan Counthouse, edited in music by Will Tendy. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carlos King, one of the most sought-after executive producers in reality television. I am thrilled to announce Reality with the King, where we'll discuss all things reality TV. I have interviewed everyone from Nene Leakes, Teresa Judai and Kenya Moore. Each episode, we will rehash shocking portrayals, honey. Yes! Hilarious shade. And all the drama. Reality with the King podcast is available wherever you get your podcast.